Hi, I'm Simpsons writer Mike Reese. I've visited places Jewish guys like me never go. Iran, Iraq, Syria, South Carolina. And my only question is, what am I doing here? Zoos used to be POW camps for animals. They'd been captured and thrown in tiny bear cages where they would die of despair. Our parents brought us to these places for fun. They buy us a balloon. Today's zoos are much more humane. They build their animals enormous enclosures filled with greenery for them to hide behind. As a result, you can spend all day and $58 at the San Diego Zoo and not see one goddamn animal. Frankly, this is what I figured an African safari would be like. You'd see maybe a giraffe every other day and perhaps one wildebeest, whatever a wildebeest is. But within one hour of pulling into Maasai Mara Animal Reserve in Kenya, I saw tons of elephants, hundreds of hippos, a gazillion gazelles, an alliteration of antelopes, and way too many zebras. Africa has zebras like New York has pigeons. You see thousands of zebras in herd after herd. As they silently huddle in their black and white stripes, they look like a prison gang from a 30s movie that's up to no good. There's not only a lot of animals, but they're all friends. In the zoo, they're segregated by species, but in Africa, they hang out together, a bunch of smug, self-satisfied vegans. They truly are a peaceable kingdom united by one common belief. Lions suck. They suck eating you, eating your friends, ruining everyone's good time. They are truly the jerks of the jungle. And yet the highlight of any safari is to see a lion make a kill. The tough part is lions sleep all day and eat all night, just like your children coming home from college. My wife got us up at 4 a.m. to see lions on the hunt. It excited a bloodlust in her that I had not seen in 32 years of marriage. Hey, honey, look, a warthog. He's so cute. He's like Pumbaa. Hi, Pumbaa. Uh-oh, here comes a lion. Kill him. Eat him. Kill Pumbaa. Honey, he's getting away. Damn it. The only feeding we saw that morning was a hornbill eating some elephant dung. It was less Lion King than Pink Flamingos. A safari is one of the few vacations I recommend to everyone. For a reasonable price, you can even go glamping, where they build a Hilton hotel room and throw a tent over it. I thought it was purely a gimmick until I was kept awake one night by an elephant flossing his butt on our tent ropes. The accommodations are plush, the food is great, and the driving is a teeth-rattling nightmare. You ride in a jeep over the worst dirt roads on earth. There are seat belts, but they are purely decorative. The sliding part doesn't slide, and the buckle doesn't buckle. They are there for you to sit on, making an uncomfortable ride even more uncomfortable. Still, it's worth it to see animals like the baboons, because they seem to be on safari too. While you're watching the baboons, they sit there watching the lower monkeys screeching and screwing and throwing each other out of trees. For baboons, this was their television. This was their Schitt's Creek. Here's another fun fact about baboons. If a man yells at them, they run away. 
If a woman yells at them, they don't listen. Baboons are like Republican senators. They cannot hear women. Once you've seen all the big animals, you can go in search of the smaller, more obscure ones, turning your safari into a week-long game of Where's Waldo. This will almost always lead to stress, because in every couple, one person is a much better spotter. Look, honey, a dick-dick. Where? You see that dead branch that looks like a U? Follow that branch all the way till you hit a gray stone. Beside that is a green patch of dirt. That's where the dick-dick is. I did not see one thing you just described. The dick-dick is right there. Oh, now I think I see it. It's beautiful. Good. I like those bright red tail feathers. A dick-dick is a deer. And fight. Of course, it's a terrible disservice to look at Africa just in terms of animals. The air is clear, the light is stunning, the scenery is jaw-dropping, and there's so much of it. You could fit the U.S., Europe, China, India, and Japan inside Africa. But don't do it. It would be a lot of effort, and for what? Just trust me, Africa's big. There's 1.3 billion people there, according to a number I just made up. There are hundreds of beautiful cultures spread across 53 countries. I visited four of them, and it was all thanks to Arthur. Arthur was skinny, middle-aged, pasty, and hairless. He looked like the Pillsbury Doughboy after gastric bypass surgery. His new wife, Shanice, was a gorgeous African woman half his age. They were the kind of couple only online dating could create. We met them at a New York party just before Arthur quit his IT job and moved to West Africa to run his wife's chicken farm. If you're ever on the Ivory Coast, look us up, he chuckled. Never ever say this to my wife, even as a joke. Not long after, she booked us a Christmas vacation to go to West Africa. Ivory Coast, Ghana, Togo, and Benin. If someone cursed my wife, I'll see you in hell She'd be on Expedia looking for flights. Our trip started in the Ivory Coast, a surprisingly dirty place considering it's named after two brands of soap. When we dropped in on Arthur, he didn't know who the hell we were. Still, he was excited to show us around his chicken farm. I'm going to turn all this into a boutique hotel, he exclaimed, seeing things we could not see. We'll serve fresh eggs, chicken, capybara, Capybara, the world's largest rodent. I'll import them from South America. They'll walk freely amongst the guests, but I also found some great capybara recipes online. The internet is where he found both his wife and his giant rat recipes. He'd been living in this French-speaking country for nearly a year and hadn't learned a single word of the language. Not even poulet, of which he owned 1,500 we decided to abandon this West African production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and head north to the Ivory Coast's one major tourist attraction, the Vatican. Yes, the Vatican. From 1985 to 1989, the Ivory Coast spent $175 million to build the Basilica of Our Lady of Peace. It was supposed to be an exact replica of the Vatican, but just a little smaller, out of respect to Rome. Instead, by accident, it came out just a little bigger. Oopsie! 
It sits in the middle of the jungle, 200 miles from the nearest city. The Guinness Book calls it the largest church in the world, and nobody goes there. My wife and I had the place to ourselves. We played Pope Horny and the Naughty Nun in the confessional. The four countries of West Africa are shaped like four slender fingers, and next to the pointer of the Ivory Coast is the upraised middle finger of Ghana. This is truly the angriest place on earth. Its name derived from the phrase, I'm gonna kill you. Who are you people and how did you get in my garage? We entered Ghana at a fishing village called St. James, populated entirely by supermen. They were huge and shirtless and more muscled than anything I've ever seen in a comic book. They were all yelling at me for no apparent reason. I had to slip several of them $5 bills for my crime of existing. We stepped into the St. James gym, where the only sport being practiced, no surprise here, was boxing. My wife insisted I pose for a cute photo, sparring with an eight-year-old boy. The kid proceeded to beat the crap out of me, and then I had to slip him a $5 bill. I thought we'd be safe when we checked into our luxurious, for Ghana, hotel. But that night, I got up in the middle of dinner to use the restroom. You can't leave, screamed the maitress D. You not be. I'm going to the bathroom, I whispered. Pay for meal first. I'll be right back, I said. I'm just going to the restroom. Rest room? She cried. Rest in a room? Toilet! I hollered. I'm going to the toilet. Every head in the restaurant swiveled to look at me. Americans are just so rude. I saw fistfights every day I was in Ghana. Once my taxi driver leapt out of the car to beat up a traffic cop. Then he climbed back into the cab like nothing had happened. Indeed, traffic may be a big part of everyone's anger. Stoplights literally take five minutes to change, and even when they do, no one can move. A new brand of commerce has developed around this traffic, as vendors weave among the stopped cars. It's not just soda, ice cream, and snacks. There are people selling shirts, shoes, and bathroom scales. One guy even had a pile of end tables stacked on his head. Plus, there are jugglers, acrobats, and fire eaters at every intersection. It's just like Amazon Prime, only the delivery is faster and the shows are better. Ghana does have brick and mortar stores, and they put a lot of thought and paint into the names. My God is Able Plumbing Works, Blood of Jesus Electrical, I am the light and the redeemer stationary, and the vaguely troubling, in God we trust, fast food. It's easy to mock these, but what's so great about boring names like Lowe's Hardware or Discount Shoe Warehouse? And let's not forget, America is the home of Krispy Kreme Donuts. It's three words long and every word is misspelled, and their donuts are neither crispy nor creamy. We also visited the local offices of a charity we support, Planned Parenthood. After a lovely tour, the director asked me, Do you have any children? No, I said. No children? 
Nope. No Natal. Okay, three. I've got three. Then I asked the director of Planned Parenthood how many children he had. He said, six. Besides children, Ghana's greatest commercial product is their quirky, adorable, candy-colored coffins. According to legend, a local chieftain ordered a wooden throne built in the shape of a lion. Sadly, he died before the throne arrived. It was probably stuck in traffic, so his tribe buried him in it. Though started by accident, Ghana now has a thriving business in fantasy coffins. They can be shaped like a sports car, a six-pack of beer, a package of Marlboros, a Ghana Airways plane. If it can kill you, they make a coffin out of it. Luckily, I'd somehow beaten the odds and managed to finish the week in Ghana without being murdered. I headed off to Togo, a much more welcoming country. They clearly see very few Caucasians because everyone greeted me warmly. Hey, white man! And occasionally, Bonjour, Monsieur Leblanc! Giggling children would run up to me and run a finger along my arm, convinced I was a black guy painted white. Babies would look at me and burst into tears, wondering, Jesus, what the hell happened to you? (laughs) I loved it. I was walking down a city street when a local man whispered to me, Psst, want to see a nice orphanage? This was the same technique used to lure me into Vegas strip clubs, and in both cases, it worked. I entered to see sweet African orphans making handicrafts for sale. The man clapped his hands and the children assembled on stage and sang a sweet hymn in French. Ordinarily, they would sing more, but they have to go home now. They don't live here, I asked. No, their parents will be picking them up soon. Parents, I said. They don't really seem to be orphans, and this doesn't seem to be much of an orphanage. Monsieur, it is a very fine orphanage. He handed me a donation form. And it is supported by generous Christians like yourself. I guess they hadn't seen many Jews before either. My wife and I visited a couple of charity schools in West Africa, and they were as phony as the orphanage. Each had a model classroom they'd show to American donors. In one, the date on the blackboard was from two months earlier. The lesson for the day was the too perfect, democracy good, dictatorship evil. The room was dusty, cobwebbed, and 100% kid-free. We have three other classrooms, boasted the principal. Can we see them? My wife asked. No, he snapped. Denise dashed off and peered into the three padlock classrooms. One was full of lumber, one contained bags of cement, and the third housed an old tractor. I don't know how that got in here. We'd had enough of Togo, but before we could enter Benin, I had to get a visa from the most imperious man in Africa. He had a tiny office in a rundown strip mall, but he presided over it like a potentate. He wore leopard print pajamas and lounged on a sofa, exploding with stuffing and springs. Sit down, he commanded, yelling over an electric fan that provided lots of noise but no cooling whatsoever. I took a seat on an office chair that canted dangerously to one side. Did I ask you to sit there? He said. I did not. I moved over to an even more busted chair. I just need you to stamp our... Did I ask you to speak? I did not. 
This powerless power trip lasted six hours, including his three-hour lunch break. But we were finally going to Benin. I was a man with a mission. This was the birthplace of voodoo, and I had an important question. I met with a revered witch doctor. He had a scraggly white beard and was naked, save for a loincloth, beads, and body paint. I sat on the dirt floor of his hut and said, I have a play opening in September. Will it be a success? He began a 20-minute ritual, chanting, humming, tossing bones, and burning leaves. Finally, after a long silence, he said, No. And you know what? He was right. What Am I Doing Here was written and performed by Mike Reese and produced by Josh Perillo, featuring Denise Reese as herself. Additional voices by Trevor Morris, Mike's Funny Doorman. 